Many years ago, I was driving uh, an old car with many miles on it, and it was, uh, and the tires were wearing out as well. Well, that part I knew I could change, but I was trying to delay that as much as, as, as long as possible. But I noticed that the uh, that the comfort of the ride was greatly deteriorating as time went on. I thought, well, I guess I've pushed the tires as long as I can. So I, uh, I went to the store, bought a new set. I knew to have the front end aligned as well. And that should have solved the problem. But it didn't. And I kind of puzzled over that, and I, and I concluded it must be that one of the tires is, uh, is defective. So I went back and uh, suggested that, and they said, well, we'll check it out. They looked it all over, and they came back and said, it's not the tires. They said, one of your wheels is out of round. Well, I didn't know wheels could do that. But he assured me it could, and it does, and it did. Uh, and he explained further, that's, it's going to affect the whole car. Uh, you're, you're not going to be comfortable uh, until you change that wheel. Well, I'd already spent quite a bit of money, so I said, well, do you happen to have any used wheels? And he said, and why would you do that? Why would you get somebody else's problem, uh, a, a wheel that somebody else had a reason to get rid of? He said, no, there's only one thing to do. You need a whole new wheel. The new tires I had purchased, it turns out, were just conforming to the old wheel. The problem was closer to the center. And that happens in life. It happens in everyone's life. Life gets out of round. It gets off center. And when life is off center, nothing is right. It seems like in those circumstances, everything goes wrong. That happens when earthly concerns dominate our thoughts. Earthly concerns become the focus of attention. And with that, the whole life is off-center. That makes the journey of life long, hard. Colossians 3 has the answer. But the answer here is not specifically, Christ has risen. We've been rejoicing in that reality and that fact and the event that happened a long time ago. We've been rejoicing in that all morning. In fact, we rejoice in that every Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Day, which is why... Churches gather on Sunday. It's the day the Lord was resurrected. But this passage in Colossians 3 uh, is not trying to establish the fact 
of the resurrection. It's assuming that fact. And based on that fact that, uh, that uh, Paul uh, presents, uh, he is telling us here that that is supposed to have an impact on how you live every single day. What we are rejoicing in today should make a difference in how you live tomorrow. The impact of the resurrection on everyday life. What is that impact? What does this passage have in mind? This passage presents Jesus Christ as not only the risen Savior, but the one who is the very center of life. And when he is not the center of your life, then you are out of round. You are off center. Christ is the center of real life. This passage urges the response that will bring him right to the point where he needs to be in your life. And that is when you decide to live for him, not for the one that comes so naturally, not living for yourself. Decide to put him at the very center. Just four verses for us to consider this morning in Colossians 3. First four verses of this very important chapter. There are imperatives in this passage telling us what to do. And the first one, beginning in verses 1 and 2, is here the key to living for Christ means conform your life to Christ. Like a tire, a new tire on a, on a new wheel. Christ is that wheel. He's the center. Conform your life to him. Now, Paul opens this passage with, uh, with a conditional statement. And in order for the whole passage to apply to you, you have to meet the condition. What is that? At the beginning, he says, if then you have been, ri- have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. Now, if you know Christ as Savior, then that already is your condition. You have been raised with Christ. It's not a separate decision that you need to make. Uh, trust Christ as my Savior on one day, and then maybe later, I'll decide to be raised. It all happens at the same time. Well, what's the point of the word if in that case? Well, the point is for you to reflect. Here on Resurrection Sunday, we don't only celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but if you have trusted Christ as Savior... We are celebrating our resurrection as well. Not the future one. We'll celebrate that one well enough at the appropriate time. But the one that has already happened. The resurrection that took you from being dead in sin 
That's exactly how Scripture describes it. Dead in sin. Spiritually lifeless. But through Christ and through what he accomplished on the cross and in the empty tomb, if you have trusted him as Savior, then you have been raised. You are living a new life. That life has already started and is underway, and for many it's, it's uh, been underway for some time. If you have been raised, and he, he phrases it that way for believers to, to think about that. There's a personal reflection we, he calls for here. I've been raised. Well, it just stands to reason then that if I have been raised to a new life, then my life should have a new center. It should look different than it used to look. And if it doesn't, there is something very wrong. But this word if also is an appropriate call for personal reflection If your answer to the question, have you been saved, is, I don't know, or I don't think so, or maybe it for you is an even more definite, no, no, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Within all the things that follow in these coming verses, Uh, are not going to be available to you. Even the admonitions that we're about to read aren't even possible for you. you. You can't do this. You can't make Christ the center of your life if he's not the savior of your soul. There's the starting point. And so there's where we have to start. If you have been raised with Christ. If your answer is no, that can change today. If your answer is yes, then you need to have a a genuine, heartfelt desire to know, well, then what? If I have been raised with Christ, what difference is that supposed to make? Well, let's read on then, find out what that is. And in this first verse, it's a call to focus your ambition on him. I want him to be the center of my life. Here's how Paul says it. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with Christ, your life needs to be focused on the very things and from the very perspective that Christ enjoys, which is from heaven. Seek the things. There's an active call here. Be seeking continually the perspective of heaven as you devote yourself to him making him that center of your life. Choose his vantage point on life. 
You see, from where he sits in heaven, from where he sits, he can see it all perfectly. From where we sit, we're looking horizontally and the view isn't very long. So seek where he is. Seek his perspective on life. His values. His priorities. What does he think is important in my life? Perhaps I need to adopt that. And that will invariably call for a change. Christ himself has the best view of reality available. Seek his viewpoint. Seek his values. This verse also tells us not only is Christ there above, not only does he have a viewpoint, but he is also seated at the right hand of God. The right hand throne is the place of highest honor. In Christ's case, it is the place of of not only prominence, It's the place of authority. It's the place of sovereignty. Here's a reminder that this Savior that that needs to be the center of your life not only has a perspective on things, uh, he's got an opinion about how you ought to be responding to him. This Savior is in charge. Your response to him, then, needs to be one of submission. Not casual, I wonder what he thinks, ah, okay. But a genuine, earnest desire to know what he thinks and to then strive to submit to what he expects. Again, your life is off-center if it's not lined up with him. So submit yourself to Christ. From where he sits, he, he's striving to provide direction for your life, but it's doing you little good if you're not following his instructions. He's giving them well enough. Focus your ambition on him. I want to please him. Needs to be that ambition. Verse 2 is very similar, but it changes the, the focus just a little bit, tightens that focus, focus your attention on him. Uh, This is really the how corresponding to the what of verse 1. How do you do that? How, How do you seek the things that are above that can seem a little... Nebulous. How do you do that? Well, Paul helps us understand that a little bit more when he says, set your minds on the things above. It begins with how you think. Think about Christ. Think about what pleases him. 
adopt that perspective of Christ. This thinking here is a mental process, but it's not just designed to rattle around in your brain. This mental process, God has designed to actually reorient your will, to change the choices that you make. How you think, clear that up, think like him, and that is then the path to live like him, to live in the way that would please him. This also, though, is, uh, uh, calls for a negative uh, uh, awareness, and he mentions that at the end of verse 2, set your mind on things above, and now what he's about to say tells us the alternative, tells us what so easily distracts our attention and makes it so difficult to do what Paul has already called us to do. What is it? It's the things that are on earth. The only way you can succeed in getting your life on on target, on center, is to eliminate the dominating thoughts of life on this, this earth that distract. As we adopt the Lord's perspective, you have to resist the, the world's distraction. Kingdom values must replace uh, earthly values. The wrong thinking that dominates uh, life on this earth and dominates us as well. To replace that with, uh, with Christ's values. So it's a resisting at the same time that we have this adopting. Back in 1997, uh, it seemed that everybody was trying to get a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp Comet. For many of us, it was the best opportunity we would have in our lifetime to see this display, uh, of, of, uh, this kind of display uh, in particular, not even that particular comet, any comet we were pretty excited to see. Uh, astronomers could observe the spectacle for a period of over about 18 months. But they let us regular people know that the best time for us would have been in March of 1997. Well, our family was living in New Hampshire at the time. Uh, and a- April here could have seemed a little chilly this morning, but I can assure you March in New Hampshire, especially at night, it can get pretty cold. So in our home, I was assigned the responsibility to go out on the back deck with my binoculars and find that comet and then let the rest of the family know, and they're all eagerly looking through the window, and then they would come out and I could show them where it is. So all right, I got my winter coats on and a hat and gloves, and I had my binoculars And I scanned side to side, and I tried up and down. I was working at this uh, diligently, and finally we we had a a third grader at the time, and she came out, and she asked the one question I did not want to hear. 
Have you found it yet? (laughs) No. And then she asked the one question that was even worse. Is that it? (laughs) I I lowered the binoculars and followed her outstretched finger. And I said, uh, yes, sweetie. <laughs> I think you found it. Okay, what was the problem? The binoculars seemed like a great idea because I could get this closer view. But it was so restrictive, I couldn't see the big picture. Our restricted view, all we can see is just what's right around, and that just distorts our perspective, limits that perspective. Conform yourself to Christ begins by seeking where he is. Wonder what it looks like from there. Wonder if this that is so... Uh, occupying my attention right now, I wonder how important that seems from there. This is a call to get your life on center by conforming yourself to him. Well, what are these earthly things that Paul has just referred to in that very broad category. What are these things that can be so distracting? Well, he actually doesn't leave us to wonder about that. Just take a quick look down to verse 5, where he begins to itemize a few of these. He's still doing this in uh, terms of some categories. But notice in verse 5, these categories include sexual sins of all kinds. How easy it is to let sexual temptations all around us in our world to an unbelievable extent and how they distract us from Christ. Not just sexual sins, but he broadens that to call it sinful desires for anything that God prohibits. A lot of things in there that the world uses to distract. And then he even mentions in verse 7, love for money. And of course, following that, love for money and all that it can buy. How much of our time do we spend there? Energy, concern, worry. And when Paul says, which is idolatry, it's an important reminder to us that that sin takes the place that God deserves. A focus there is not a focus here. Conform your life to Christ, Paul says. We might wonder, well, why? I mean, that's a pretty all-consuming admonition. 
if I was to do that? Is there a compelling theological basis for such a radical call of change, such a change of thinking? Well, that's what he provides in verses 3 and 4. And with the emphasis here is, is also a call to entrust your life to Christ. What do we know about Christ that makes him trustworthy? On well, verse 3, he is all you need in the present age. Verse 3 begins with a, a reference to death. He says, for you have died. Now, death was implicit back at the beginning of verse 1. If you have been raised, then you must have died as well. That was actually talking about the salvation experience. You died, you, you were dead in sin, and he raised you from that condition of death. But this is now a little different angle when it says, for you have died. Well, wait, I thought we were alive. Well, no, in another sense, when you got saved, yes, you came to life, you were dead, but in another sense, you died at that moment. In what way? Well, you died to yourself. You no longer have the right to serve yourself. You died to self. You don't have the right to choose sin anymore because you died to sin. That's just as much a reality as your salvation experience itself. For you have died, he says. But of course, you've been raised this new life you have, what about that? I mean, I have to live in this world, right? I can't take my eyes off of this world entirely. I still have choices to make. I still have work to do, responsibilities to fulfill. Yes, of course. But the, the, the very, your very soul, the very center of your life is with Christ. And as verse 3 goes on to say, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a very concise statement about the condition of a child of God living in this fallen world with all of its distractions, but your life which looks to be in danger, which looks to have so many things to be on guard against and to worry about. The reality is your life is hidden with Christ in God. The hiddenness here implies protected. Just as your life to live for yourself ended when you trusted Christ as Savior, so your life now, your new life, is protected, put in a safe place. It's just as safe as Christ himself. 
hidden with Christ. doesn't say hidden by Christ. Hidden together with Christ. And who did the hiding? That's none other than God himself. Hidden with Christ in God. Can you imagine a better condition? Could there be a greater degree of safety? Could you have any less to worry about? His point here is there's nothing left for you to worry about. All the anxieties that dominate our time, our energy, all of our resources are misspent. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What comfort. What relief. He's all you need in the present age. That's all you need to know. It's like that alone can free us up to, okay, well, then I can take my gaze off of this, and I can look up, and I can gain his perspective. I can give him my devotion. This is not risky business. This is certainty. He is all you need in the present age. Verse 4 goes on to complete that picture. He's all you need in the future age as well. Look how concisely he says this. When Christ, who is your life, let's just have that reminder for a moment. He is your life. He is the center. He's the source. Well, when he, Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. When he appears. This is a clear reference to the second coming of Christ. This is eschatology here. This is looking forward. This age is going to come to an end. Another good reason that it doesn't deserve our devotion. It's only temporary. This life will come to an end when he appears. And at that moment, he's going to change all appearances. Right now, it looks like God's people are the nobodies of this world. The reality is we are the most important people to God. All who he has redeemed. Looks like we're nothing What's it going to look like then? He says, you also will appear with him in glory. Now that's all unseen. Christ himself is unseen today. But he is going to appear in glory, and you will share that glory. Nothing less than that. There's no exaggeration here. There's nothing left that he hasn't provided 
and won't provide for eternity. He's all you need in the future age as well. You see how that leads us then to the conclusion, I just might as well entrust my life to Christ. Where could I be safer? Where can I get a better guarantee? You see, the choice to die with Christ, to die to yourself, to die to the, uh, to the, to the need to please yourself, And to focus on him, that choice, the decision to make Christ the center of your life, that comes with eternal benefits. Complete safety now, complete certainty then. And trust your life to Christ. I had us look to uh, the next few verses, 5 through 7. Let's just take a quick look at verses 8 and 9, because Paul widens the scope of application of these truths to include a few other things. And now he gets more into personal relationships with others. Centering your life on Christ will make a difference in how you relate to the people around you. And see, this begins with how you think about people. Put away anger, wrath, malice. These are all internal. These are all ways of thinking about people. Anger that we harbor. Wrath, malice, actually wishing for something detrimental to happen to somebody else. Somehow we think that makes us feel better. And then it gets expressed through slander, obscene talk. If your life is centered on Christ, that stuff all has to go, Paul is saying. You must put them all away. Deceiving for personal gain. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. The old self, that's the one that died. Put away its practices. I heard a story about a couple that was deeply concerned about the spiritual condition of their oldest daughter. They had several children, but the oldest, despite the influence of a Christian home, a, a good gospel-preaching church throughout her life, yet she had persisted in rejecting Christ openly, blatantly, And it showed itself in everyday life by her resistance to her parents' authority. Her arguing with her parents, which got worse as she moved into the high school years. 
Well, they were deeply concerned because uh, she had just graduated from high school. What choices could she make now to her lasting detriment? One day, after an especially angry outburst in the home, she packed up some clothes and, and walked out. Her siblings talked with each other about that and wondered if they would even ever see her again. Where would she go? What would she do? How would she live? What wrong choices would they make? That was a very somber evening for the family. They grieved as they prayed together and then each went to bed. After a restless night, the family awoke, and they could all sense that a distinct feeling that something was different. They had no idea what this could be. One of the children voiced what the rest of them feared to say. She said, I wonder if she's dead. The family hardly knew how to respond. One of the sisters almost just decided to go into her sister's room. What might she find there? Maybe a clue. She was shocked to see her sister in the bed sleeping. But was she dead or alive? Well, she had had many experiences of awakening that sister, only to have her immediately begin yelling and saying, I hate you, get out, get out. So she very carefully walked over and just touched her shoulder. Is there going to be any response? When she opened her eyes, the sisters got back, bracing herself for what was about to come. And instead, she heard these words. Well, good morning. That was enough of a shock, but then as she rose from the bed with, an, with a big smile, she said, I trusted Christ as Savior last night. They all went downstairs. The family rejoiced together. And the testimony of that family is that that sister went on to center her life on her new Savior, to be useful in God's hands for years to come. What that one sister said, I wonder if she's dead, was actually true. She died to herself. She died to her sinfulness when she trusted Christ and chose to follow him. And that's when her real life began. That's what Christ makes available to everyone. You can have real life 
If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you have no idea what real life is. Trust him as your Savior today. But even as a child of God, if you have allowed the the distractions of this world to continually weigh you down and keep you from following your Savior, Paul assures us in this passage, you have no idea what real life is. That's not the way God intends this to work. There's an opportunity for you to center your life on Christ. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed, God's word assures us choosing Christ is not a risk. It's the only certainty of life. Where this passage began, if you have been raised with Christ, have you been raised? Would you trust Christ as your Savior today? Father, thank you for a Savior who can not only redeem a soul, but change a life. Thank you for making that gift of salvation available to all. We pray for your work in the hearts of each one today that does not yet have that gift of life. Pray, Father, that you would grant to each of those in that condition faith to believe, to turn from sin, and entrust themselves to you. Father, for all who already name the name of Christ, Father, we ask for your grace for a centered life. We look to you for the help we need to put away all of the distractions of this world, to adopt your perspective, and to accomplish your purpose. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.